Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 132 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Finally, I've managed to get myself into a virtual beekeeping meeting. We get cleaning the honey sump and pump and this week I promise I will update you on how the mead making is going. Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm grateful to Honeypaw Hives for sponsoring in part our podcast for this season. Honeypaw Hives, as I'm sure you're aware, are Polly Langstroth Hives, and we're setting up an apiary full of their hives this season, courtesy of Honeypaw. Check out their range of hives and other equipment on their website, and I'll leave links to all of the websites in the show notes as usual. Honeypore Hives, designed by beekeepers for beekeepers. It's podcast time again, so hello to you all. You are most welcome. It's interesting to see just how dark the mornings have become. I wonder if the bees notice it moving around in the early hours, tucked up in their beehives and saying to each other, isn't it really dark early these days? Probably not. That's uh, more a scene out of B-movie or Bugs Life. But honestly, aren't the mornings dark at the moment? This weekend, though, sees the first autumnal milestone for us here in the UK in that we turn our clocks back an hour. Remember, fall backwards. Thank goodness for our American cousins, I say. Or we'd still be saying, autumn. Is that backwards or forwards? The problem is, I always find, is that I guess you could spring backwards but let's not complicate things today clocks go back this weekend and that means an extra hour in bed on the allotment or probably in the honey room talking of the honey room the sump and pump got a really good clean out this week it was much needed as everything was coated in a fine layer of honey and grime everything i'm sure had been washed it's just that Well, honey clings and spreads, so if you don't wash and rinse, and then rinse again and probably rinse again, it just leaves a fine coat of stickiness that then picks up all the dust and dirt. I was amazed at just how dirty the hose was, particularly on the outside. There were a couple of spots on the inside that concerned me, but the outside was just tacky with honey. And there is a lot of hose. It must be seven or eight metres long at least probably too long for what I need and with such a long hose it means there's an awful lot of honey that has to travel through it before it actually starts working. I think I'm going to shorten it as much as possible not just to make it easier to fill with honey but also to allow me to clean the inside with our very long hose brush. It's basically a bottle brush on a very long wire handle probably a meter long I think and it works really well at removing the grubby spots on the inside of the hose or in bottles that kind of thing. I just want everything spotless and clean. I may be going too far as a warm water wash pumping through the hose is likely to do the job nicely. So the honey sump you'll probably recall is a lysen product. The smaller of the two currently available the very first thing I noticed was just how much water it was taking to fill. Honestly, it's huge. I stopped at eight honey buckets. That's the 30 pound buckets we use to store our honey in. So 
eight honey buckets got the water level to about halfway. That's a lot of honey before it gets anywhere near the top. I'm going to pop back to the unit over the weekend and do a calculation to see exactly what volume of honey I'll need before it hits the top of the sump. A little basic maths should do it. I was thinking about this just yesterday. You might know I took a full-time degree at the local university, the University of East Anglia here, when I was in my late 40s, graduating at the age of 50. One of my proudest personal achievements, I have to say. Yes, I have mentioned it before because I think I remember sharing my high school passions of basketball and girls with you. Anyway, let's move on. One of the most terrifying and most difficult things I've ever had to do is to explain to one of my university classes of young adults, all of them fresh out of A-levels, how to work out a fairly complex maths problem. And that coming from someone who is dyslexic and could never learn his times tables at middle school. As the book tells us, feel the fear and do it anyway. That book should really be renamed to feel the fear and mess your pants. Anyway, I stumbled through the degree classes, but weirdly, I started to enjoy the maths. The point here is, I still couldn't remember the answer to 7 times 8, but I didn't need to. I had a calculator and books to help me. And, as I digress, don't think that because you struggle to remember how many days it takes for a queen to emerge, or how long the larvae remains uncapped, that you're a bad beekeeper. Some of us just can't hold on to some of this kind of information. It's why we write it down and why we have books. Anyway, where was I? Ah yes, the volume of the honey sump. Who would have thought that as I sat in my maths classes at university, I would be using that knowledge to help me work out some beekeeping challenges? So here's my plan. All I have to do is to work out the volume of the honey bucket, and a bucket is just a cylinder, and there's a maths formula for working that out. If you haven't dozed off yet, it's pi r squared h. Now, to prove the point of what I was saying earlier, I'd forgotten that formula pretty much immediately after I sat the final exam. But I did keep my maths books, and if you search volume of a cylinder, hundreds of useful sites will pop up to offer you a solution. Some will even do the calculation for you. So who's smarter, the person who can recall the formula or the person that acknowledges that they can't remember but knows how to find it? Anyway, back to the problem in hand. I can measure the bucket, our cylinder, and I know what a bucket full of honey weighs. So all I have to do is to work out the volume of the sump and divide one into the other for a total number of buckets to fill the sump. Then times that by the weight to give a total weight of honey needed to fill the sump. Okay, you can wake up now. Sad as it seems, I actually quite enjoy the challenge of working it out. It's a puzzle, and who doesn't like puzzles? I'll let you know the answer next week. Meanwhile, I'm back washing and cleaning both the sump and the pump. The sump has a heating element in it that warms the honey. The base temperature is 30 degrees, so the water went from cold to just about cold, but not warm, tepid I guess you might call it. Anyway, that took an age and that's good news because I don't want the honey overheating as it goes through the sump strainers. I didn't add any cleaning products to the water. I wanted to flush the internal areas of the sump and pump with plain water. 
Connecting everything up was very straightforward. I removed all of the hose fittings from the hose, washed everything, and then reconnected it all. It's only a few Jubilee clips, so nothing too strenuous. One thing that does wind me up, though, and it's these fittings that don't tighten to the right end position. By that, I mean when I fit the tap valve to the sump, if I wind it all the way onto the screw thread that's fitted to the end point on the sump, when I screw it up tight, it means the tap handle is somewhere near the bottom and not at the top. This means I'm using a heap of PTFE tape to bulk up the thread before fitting the valve back on. I'm sure it's just the way it is, but it would be nice if the engineering was a little more accurate. Or is that just me expecting too much? After all, these bits of kit are not cheap. Anyway, that's my moan over. Hose is connected, pump primed, and we're ready to hit the start button. Amazingly, there were no leaks. And I think that's a good sign, as water would probably find the smallest spot to leak out of. I primed the pump valve area with water too, just to make sure it wasn't going to start running dry and damage itself. I was right about the switch. It does pump in both directions, so I'm not too sure why the previous owner had written the words in and out on the body of the pump. Maybe it was just a reminder to himself. Anyway, the water flowed out of the sump, through the pump, and along the hose, back into the sump. And yes, I had remembered to hook the hose back into the sump, so no disasters here today. The pump, whilst not silent, isn't particularly noisy, unless of course it's full of air. Once the air had been pushed through, it was bearable, and it wasn't until I cranked the speed up to full power that it got a little more noisy, and that could have been due to a little air held in it. I don't think I'll need or want to run the pump at full power. I'm not sure I'll ever have that amount of honey to pump through it. While the pump was running, I gave the sump a rinse. It cleaned up nicely, and you could actually see the spots in the hose that I was a little worried about cleaning as the water was pushed around. I think it was a little residual honey, and within a few minutes of flushing, it was clean. The kit is now ready for its maiden run. Quite excited about that. I'm going to warm some honey buckets of unstrained honey to put through it next week, and that's as a trial to work out the best positions for the equipment and, going back to the maths, just how much honey it's going to take to get it working properly. Videos of that little experiment will no doubt follow in a week or two. Once the test run is done, I'll need to wash it out again, and I have a cunning plan for the residual honey stuck in the hose, sump and pump. I'm going to make some more mead. I reckon if I can keep the amount of water to a minimum, just enough to fill the hose, pump and outlet of the sump, I should be able to use the washings to make some more mead. And I'm thinking of doing this because the mead I've been making is actually turning out not too bad, even after just a few weeks. Yes, it's a bit rough at the moment, cloudy, a little fizzy, but boy, it packs a punch. I did a very rough calculation, more maths here, and the alcohol content is at least 14% and could be as much as 18%. Probably not that high, but the readings on the hydrometer were pretty impressive. The recipe I'm following suggests that you drain or rack off the mead from the sediment that forms on the bottom of the fermentation vessel. 
So that's what I did a couple of days ago. And of course, there's always a little left that needs tasting. I have to say I was quite impressed. It was like a cheap fizzy champagne. Not that I want to insult champagne producers out there, or indeed fizzy mead makers. Apologies, Luke. But I think it's going to be really nice. In about two years' time, maybe, the decanted mead was put into a glass demijohn and given a fresh bung and airlock, then stored in a cool, dark cupboard at the unit. There it will stay for a few months before I take another peek at it, probably to drain it off the fresh sediment as it hopefully starts to clear. And I have big plans for more mead. This little shambles of a first attempt has given me new enthusiasm for making some more mead, and I'm going to attempt a couple of variations over the coming weeks. I'll update you as we progress. Finally, some exciting news. I attended my first proper Beekeeping Association virtual meeting this week. My thanks to Katie for getting stuck in with the Norwich and District Beekeepers Association Committee and organising the Zoom session. It was actually quite painless, I found. I even found time to upload some virtual backgrounds to use, so no one could see just how untidy my office actually was. And this got me thinking. We had a decent turnout, and I thought it might be a little congested and noisy with people talking over each other, but everyone was actually very well behaved. And Terry, our current chairman, was in total control, giving everyone a chance to talk about how their season had progressed and what they were up to. We didn't have a speaker as it was a kind of trial run to get the software and processes in place, but I think it will actually work out really well. With this in mind, I'm going to look into setting up my own Zoom account to enable me to host live chat sessions with you all. Initially, it will be for specific tiers within my Patreon group, and if that's successful and there's demand and space, I'll look to roll it out further. I'll probably enlist the help of Katie and Steph to manage it for me, collate questions and such like, and maybe help with the technical issues, but it did seem as if it might be something I can use to help our supporters further. So what I'd like is to hear from you if you'd be interested in joining me live on Zoom, perhaps once a month throughout the year, to chat about beekeeping and get your questions answered. Leave me a message either beneath the podcast episode in Patreon or message me on my website or Facebook page. If there's enough interest and demand, we'll get something set up for November. Yikes, that's just a fortnight away. I'd best get my skates on. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you're in the UK, clocks go back this weekend and I'll catch up with you all again next week. Links to the relevant information will as usual be in the podcast notes. But until next week, I'm Stuart Spinks. And that was beekeeping, short and sweet. Yeah.